You're listening to Someone Like Me. This episode was recorded in the early months of 2022. We had just purchased our new Survivor Restoration Campus, and the conversations you hear in this third season will refer to this campus as well as our former name, End Slavery Tennessee. In 2023, our organization rebranded to Ancora Tennessee, ushering a new era as we nurture survivor healing and strategically combat human trafficking in this state of Tennessee. Now, without further ado, we present Season 3 of Someone Like Me. Please enjoy. This is Someone Like Me, the official podcast of Angora, Tennessee, formerly known as End Slavery, Tennessee. I'm Leslie, the host, and this podcast helps you learn more about the ways Encora, Tennessee is combating human trafficking in our state. We take a holistic approach to survivor care. This not only addresses the immediate needs like housing, food, clothing, and medical care, but it includes the cultivation of long-term skills beyond survival and towards sustainable thriving and growth. Encora, Tennessee is developing a research-based program to more effectively support this process. It's one of the first professional therapeutic programs in the U.S. specifically designed to meet the unique needs for the layered and complex trauma survivors experience. The program is called Intensive Outpatient Programming, IOP for short. Along with the intensive case management provided by care coordinators, this IOP empowers survivors to manage a variety of life skills. One such skill is financial literacy how to interact with money, how to have a healthy approach to spending and saving, how to budget. Of course, all of this supports our survivors along their journey towards sustainable healing. In this episode, Stacy and I are joined by Marissa Skinner, Community Response Specialist at Ancora, Tennessee, in a conversation about how she's developing the intensive outpatient program. And to help illustrate an issue this program addresses, Savannah Cleveland, a financial literacy coach and Encora, Tennessee volunteer, discusses a trauma-informed approach to financial literacy. Well, on this season of Someone Like Me, we're kind of going further in depth into creating programming for sustainability within our group of survivors that we work with. And this restoration campus that we're on right now that we record all of these episodes in, this beautiful space, is really setting us up well to do that. So we don't only work with emergency care, which is very important, but one of our goals is to help survivors have a sustainable growth throughout the rest of their life um, and thriving. And part of that is being hands-on for a long time. And this gets into a big phrase that we're going to talk about today, which is intensive outpatient programming. Short is IOP. So you might hear us say IOP. That's what that stands for. So today around the table, we have myself, Leslie, Stacy, producer, Savannah, who is with the FinLit program, Financial Literacy, and Marissa, who is a care coordinator here at Ancora TN. So let's talk about this idea of intensive outpatient programming for our survivors. What is this massive thing? 
Yeah. So IOP stands for Intensive Outpatient Program. And this type of programming differs from inpatient by allowing the participants to utilize the skills they learn during day-to-day practice. Using these skills in a real-life setting increases the chances of long-term healing. So we're forming a 12-week program, and there's no way I could cover everything that needs to be covered in a 12-week time frame. Mm. But my goal for this program is to provide participants with enough resources to begin their healing journey and hopefully carry what they learn into their personal therapy to explore and expand on certain topics that need to be addressed specific to their individual needs. What are some examples of those topics? A couple years ago, when I was an intern, I saw how very specific needs of human trafficking survivors were. The women attended some very amazing IOPs that were extremely well done, but I noticed there were some gaps in their programming that needed to be filled only because these programs were designed primarily for substance abuse or domestic violence, Mm. which are absolutely important topics that need to be addressed. But I saw that there could be more because this population is so complex and the types of traumas that they endure are very diverse. So, Well, and it really can include all of those things you just talked about. Yes. Domestic violence, substance abuse, all of that goes into a trafficking situation, or it can. Absolutely. And there's not a ton of research on the needs of human trafficking survivors. Luckily, research is growing every single day. Thank goodness. Um, There is, however, significant data on different types of therapies that have shown to be successful with various forms of traumas that surround human trafficking. So within the IOP, um, some of which These things include trauma-informed approach, always, always, always. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that last season with Kelsey. We had a very in-depth episode. So if the phrase trauma-informed is confusing to you, go listen to that episode. Yes. Super important. It's so important to use it with whatever you do with these survivors. You want to give us a really quick, what is trauma-informed just in this context we're talking about right now? Yeah. So for me, it's just being very aware that the survivors can be sensitive to various topics and being educated and knowing to approach it with sensitivity. Give us a picture of what that might look like um, Mm -hmm. to experience that sensitivity from your perspective, what you've seen. It's just having understanding that everyone's story is going to be different and being aware of what could be triggering to different people, Um, just approaching it very sensitively. Yeah, I would imagine in this context of providing programming with these women and and men, you're going to run into issues. We talk about finances. The interaction with money exchange, for example, might bring up some things for them that might not be brought up for others. And, And for each person, that's going to be different. Each person's experience is different. But in the process of healing and in the process of learning safe and sustainable and stability, I imagine there would be a lot of pitfalls with learning about how to reintegrate in society in a way that isn't the way they've done it before. Right. And just breaking up the routine of what they're used to and what they've known in the past and reintroducing healthy coping skills and Mm-hmm. Just reframing what life looks like outside of being trafficked mm-hmm. is really important in their healing. 
So this 12-week program is new to what Encore is doing, but it feels like there are a lot of building blocks within it that we've been doing for a long time. So what have we been doing that speaks to this need? And then what is being built that's new within it? So we've done quite a bit of programming. Honestly, up to this point, we've seen the needs of survivors. If we see maybe they need a boundaries group, we'll do a boundaries group with them or relationships, communication. Um, It's kind of been a needs-based situation, but now I'm wanting to incorporate everything that I've seen personally and that research has shown with this population and just incorporating it into a 12-week program so that they have all of those resources. Mm. Uh, like I said before, there's no way we could cover, we could do this for 12 years and it not cover everything they needed to cover. But I hope that they can gain a solid support of what they need for ongoing healing long-term. At what point in their healing journey would they ideally enter into this 12-week program? So first priority is we have to make sure they have housing and they're in a safe place. But what I believe is going to happen is once they have housing, they're going to go immediately into IOP. Yeah, this is all so new. I know. Literally building it this morning, there was a whole training for it. And we're still trying to figure out what that's going to look like. But as far as I know right now, we're going to get them in housing and then we're going to get them right into the IOP. And housing is a huge theme in this season that we're talking about, especially with the new vision to have residential programming here, a two-year residential program within Encora, eventual housing on the property. So this just kind of seems like a program that is being built to come alongside that. Right. Marissa, I think I remember hearing that you did some research on this when when you were in school. I did. My thesis was on establishing a sense of safety with human trafficking survivors. Mm. And so you are going to be able to talk a lot about this. (laughs) (laughs) So you were able to see. So you so you did the research and that's why you discovered the gaps. And so you knew going in that there needed to be a, a structure. I honestly saw a lot of the gaps when I was an intern there's not really an IOP designed for this population. Uh Like I said before, it's either for substance use or domestic violence, but there were a lot of things that were missing. As an intern, as a student, I was like, oh, they should talk about this, or maybe this would benefit them. So I saw the need even before I started researching. Mm -hmm. And then when I was doing the research, I noticed, man, there's not really any data on... what this population needs. So a lot of it was just on my experience and what I saw. What are some examples of those things? So, for example, healthy sexuality is an extremely important component of healing that I've never seen. I personally have never seen, and it may be done, but I've never seen it done in an intensive outpatient program. And it's when they're coming from that form of sexual trauma, Mm -hmm. it's an extremely important component of their healing. Yeah. And it's not being talked about. Well, it seems to be pretty foundational when you talk to survivors who from a very young age have said that their parents had them do sexual acts how would you have any opportunity to know what healthy sexuality looks like if that was right. your introduction? Yeah, that's important. Absolutely. And I, I've i been back and forth about how I want to approach it. And again, I'm very research-based, so I'm pulling resources from 
all over the place, but a couple months ago, I did a boundaries group with survivors, and I was still on the fence. I'm like, do I want to cover healthy sexuality? Do they need it? And we were talking about boundaries and establishing boundaries and what we have the right to protect. And our bodies came up. I was like, it is your body. It is your... And I had a survivor just stop and look at me, and I could tell I needed to slow down. And she said, I had no idea that my body belonged to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, this needs to be talked about. (laughs) That needs to be a part of this program. It's so important. I mean, consent Mm -hmm. and understanding that they have that. And wow, it's, it's just remarkable to think that that has not been front and center. Mm-hmm. I think our culture doesn't understand very well how to manage sexuality in a healthy way. And so maybe we're just as a culture needing to make that shift. And you're beginning that process with what you're doing. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> well, another piece of this puzzle is the financial part of it. Teaching finances, teaching how to spend money, all these things. Financial literacy is the phrase we're talking about here. We have Savannah here. Savannah, tell us, how are you interacting with Encora from a financial literacy perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So I had the pleasure of meeting the Encora team last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was a really serendipitous opportunity through some other things that I was doing. Came across Stacy through this piece. And it's funny, the first time I met Stacy after the meeting with the team, I asked her, I was like, I know we're in a pandemic. Would you feel safe if I hugged you? I just feel so connected. <laughs> Can we hug? <laughs> and of course, Stacy was like, Bring absolutely. It. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the start of our friendship. And through that, I, I went to Stacy's house for coffee one morning to pack up some goodie bags for an Encora event then mm-hmm. in Slavery, Tennessee. And we were making those packages and talking about financial literacy. And my background in financial literacy through the Peace Corps, I had taught in Columbia, South America for a number of years. And I was asking, what does that look like? How do they struggle potentially with financial? I mean, everybody struggles with it. I mean, we, I struggle with it and I have a really strong foundational background. And so what does it look like if you've never been introduced to basic concepts of saving or how much things cost? What what we need, right? And so through these conversations, we started identifying and I came in as a volunteer thinking about starting my own consulting business in the space because it's just such a big passion of mine is, is this financial literacy piece and how we can integrate that into this IOP program because Mm -hmm. it is a big piece of healing and it is a big piece of my money is mine, right? Like I have the opportunity to spend it how I wish and, and, With the way that introductory jobs are in today's society, it can be really hard to manage housing and food and all of these pieces that maybe we've never had the exposure to before. So it's it's a lot of understanding and being trauma-informed and learning from the Encora team of what does it mean to be trauma-informed. It's a new space for me. So understanding when we take financial literacy into this space— how do we need to address it? What are the steps back we need to take to really identify where the foundation needs to be laid to make a more stable house 
I want to say something because it reminded me, both of you said, Marissa and Savannah, you said, my, it's my body, and you said, it's my money. Mm-hmm. And that that's what they're coming out of and having to manage, kind of figuring out what it's like to not hear the opposite message. Yeah, it is my body. It is my money. And yeah. I have agency with that. Right. And ownership and agency, I think, oftentimes are these pieces of our privilege that we don't always mm. recognize. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to be able to introduce for the first time to someone in their 20s or 30s the idea of ownership and agency, and especially as a woman, right, talking about these things and identifying them, though, of course, it's a problem for men as well. But just being a woman myself, identifying and helping others identify that ownership and agency is just awesome and critical. And I've noticed that it's such a foreign concept to most of them. They don't realize it's their body. They don't realize it's their money. And something that has been extremely rewarding for me is watching them grow and learn that it is theirs. Mm -hmm. And just seeing that empowerment take over that, no, this is my life and I'm going to take control of it. I think one of the things about your story earlier when you were in the boundary group and the woman kind of, you saw the realization kind of, waft over her is in the survivors' stories that I've heard and the women I've spoken with, most of them don't identify as a trafficking survivor. And part of that is because the narrative around what trafficking looks like has been so misleading. But it's also there's a manipulation on the side of the trafficker to mm-hmm. make you think you're a part of a family. You know, you are these sorts of things. And so there's almost, I'm sure there are women who it's not like they're coming and going, eh, I don't know how to handle my money. Can you help me handle my money? You know, right. there might not even be a realization sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so to have that groundwork laid, say, let's, let's just reframe this. Well, and one of the things with that too, which is such an interesting point, and I know we talked about it this morning, going over some of these Finlit pieces that we'll introduce into the programming, is the idea of how you spend your money is your choice, even if I wouldn't do it that way, even if I don't agree with it. And to create in a trauma-informed space the opportunity to say, yes, and. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. that would be your choice. And have you thought about these other needs or these other things that you might alternatively spend your money on so that we're not ever saying, here, you have agency, and now we're going to tell you what to do with it. right. Right. Good point. What you just talked about, Savannah, right before we were recording this, the care coordinator sat down with Savannah and you took them through a couple of the sessions that survivors might go through in a financial literacy course. And and one of the big things, just to kind of give listeners an idea of like even breaking it down even further, Kelsey, who's one of our care coordinators who you've heard from before on this podcast— said to you, Savannah, don't want you to be taken aback if a survivor says, well, I've never had a toothbrush before. Because you were talking about wants versus needs. And toothbrush was kind of something that came up in the routine. I brush my teeth in the morning. And so Kelsey said, don't be surprised if they don't bring that up or if they say, well, I never had a toothbrush before. Why would I need it now? Right. Yeah. And one of the things that Marissa and I have talked a lot about in the development and the ideation of what does it really look like to create this foundational layer is routines. Because the routine that you may have prior to coming to this space and prior to being involved in this IOP program 
might look and probably did look a lot different. And so things like toothbrushes or even self-care, things like that are were not necessarily a part of that. So when we're introducing the idea of routines, first we want to take them through, what do you do now? And if that isn't what I might think of as a necessary routine, if their meal schedules are off compared to mine, or if there is brushing their teeth, maybe that wasn't a part of the routine. My goal is to identify what do you need to complete your routine now where you feel safe Mm. and then work along with this IOP program that's introducing different routines, washing your face, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? All of these things that we would consider normalcy for us that may not necessarily be that same space and then saying, okay, if a toothbrush isn't a need for you, okay, your choice. Again, your choice on how you spend your money, ownership and agency Mm -hmm. and When we don't do certain things, here are the consequences of that. Poor dental hygiene, bad breath. Like maybe if we introduce a toothbrush, here's other pieces of life that are changed because of these little changes in spending habits because we identify, oh, wait, this might be a need now. This might change. This could shift. And life shifts, y'all. Like when Mm -hmm. is anything ever the same? (laughs) I mean, how about the global pandemic? And so like when we have our routines dramatically shift like this, we all experienced a dramatic routine shift in the last couple of years. And that's Mm -hmm. what's going on in a lot of these lives every day, right, is these routine shifts. And we have to think about that, too, how uncomfortable it has been for us to shift our routines. Mm -hmm. It. It's that and then some for them because that's all they know. And it's empowering to say to these women, hey, let's explore changing your routine or keeping it the same, but enhancing it and making it more stable and so that you feel empowered. Right. And a lot of trauma-informed care is meeting the clients where they're at and having the understanding that what's normal for us may be completely different for them. I've come in contact with it a couple of times that they don't even know how to start a routine. All they know is waking up, tricking all day, and then that's it. So just a wake up, wash your face, brush your teeth, just reintegrating basic needs like that have been very foreign to them. So understanding where they're at, where they're coming from, and being very delicate about how you introduce that is very important. Well, And the trauma has impacted their ability to focus on those things as well. So they have to kind of build new passageways right. in their brain for building those routines. And, and as you do that, right, you're, you're building more capacity for not just a the routine there, but the routine ultimately to sustain a job and sustain mm-hmm. a different type of life. But their brains have to have those mm-hmm. new passages. And so it's, if you're not attuned to the mental health consequences of some of that trauma, it really doesn't compute. But if you are understanding of how much your brain has to relearn, I think it makes these simple things extremely valuable and capacity building. Well, and I mean, think about how our routines and our daily life started. When we were little, more than likely, our parents said, don't forget to brush your teeth. Our parents made sure we we're on time for school. And there are plenty of people who don't necessarily have the opportunity to have those support systems in place to build out routines through 18, 20 years of life to the point where you get to a job. And I think this is to the point made earlier of, you know, even if we had 10 years 
for an IOP program. Like routines just take so much time. And so the work and being trauma-informed and creating the foundation and then just the support system of here are tools, like here's a toolkit and how you do this is going to be up to you. And we're here as a team to guide through that process. Right. And not having the expectation that change is going to happen overnight. 12 weeks is not enough time. But if within that 12 weeks, we can provide them with resources to have a fresh start and to establish a more safe and stable routine, and it's just a really good starting point. We'd like to thank Junior League of Nashville for being a community awareness partner with someone like me. Our producers are Stacey Elliott, Caitlin Reed, and myself, Leslie Eiler-Thompson. In addition to being a producer, Clara Bidigary curtis is our engineer, and she is assisted by Selena De La Cruz. Special thanks to our intern, Riley Herman. The original music you hear is by Zach and Maggie White. <laughs>